Welcome to the BABCLA's live Zoom webinar, converted to a podcast. Each episode, you'll hear enlightening interviews on timely subjects with British and American experts across industry. Good morning, everybody. It's just rounding to 10 a.m. We've got a few people coming in. I know some people are listening in via the phone as well. My name is James Langridge. Good morning, everybody. And this is another live live cast, live webinar for the British American Business Council here in Los Angeles. We have two wonderful guests on today. And today we're going to be talking about the updates to immigration, new, new rules and regulations recently announced by the administration. And I couldn't think of two better people who could come in and talk a little bit more about it and tell us just what the heck is going on. And this morning we have Afsar Randera from Michael Sullivan and Associates. Hi, James. Good morning. And we have the one and only Richard Yem, Walsdorf, Rosenthal, also fellow board member with myself at the British American Business Council. For those of you just joining, good morning. I know you're going to get a lot out of this one. Just the format so everyone can understand it. At the bottom of your screen, if you're on your computer, there's a Q&A section. Write me a question, send it to me. I will ask the questions. If we can get you to come in live and speak live, we will. I have my own questions as well. And I know Richard and Afsa have a lot to talk about. So, you know, without further ado, we're gonna dig in. And just for those who haven't met either of you before, uh, Afsa, would you just introduce yourself and then Richard as well? Okay, so my name is Afsharandera. I guess I came to LA, fell in love with it when I was 18 years old and I decided I want everyone to fall in love with it too and became an immigration lawyer. So I practiced immigration in the UK, did mainly consular work and then came over to LA and I got a great opportunity to start an immigration section. We're here to help right now. Immigration slows slow down. So I'm happy to be here with Rich and answer all your questions. Thanks Afsha. Richard, how about yourself? Yeah, so it's crazy. I've actually been out here right about 12 years now. So I originally came out from England, from Gloucester back in the UK. Went straight into immigration, had been looking to try and get a job out here and went after immigration firms because I figured they'd get me a visa, which worked. So I went through a bunch of different visas, green card, citizenship. And yeah, I've just been out here doing this side of things for the last 12 years. Now with uh, Wolfstorff Rosenthal and based in Santa Monica, um, although we're all working from home right now. But yeah, one of the good things about what we do is you can pretty much do all of this stuff remotely because most of our clients are, you know, across the country, across the world. So yeah, it's, it's good to be here. Thank you, Richard. I love that you have that story of how you got into, how you arrived in LA. And here you are now, an immigration attorney. It's great. It's funny, we all have our own little stories of how we got here, right? I mean, anybody who wasn't born and raised in LA, I guarantee you they have an incredible story of what it took for them to get to where they are today. And that is one of the great things about Los Angeles. It's very diverse. I, I just absolutely love it. It's the greatest place to live. Richard, there's been some announcements this week. We're going to dig in. Mm-hmm. What's your take? What's the biggest takeaway from this week, especially, that's just occurred? Well, the main thing really is this, the proclamation that came out basically on Monday, which is really suspending and limiting entry of any individual who's seeking entry pursuant to H-1B, H-2B, J or L visa. Now, just for those that have no idea kind of what those visas are, the H-1B is the main professional work visa 
that's available. The J is a training kind of internship visa. The L is this intercompany transfer. So it's typically where big multinational companies send their executives abroad or you know, bring specialized knowledge people across. So it's those visa types. And what President Trump has done is basically said that those people cannot enter at this point using, you know, or can't get visas during that period. So it's, it's kind of a big deal. And it's one of these things that, you know, the proclamation came out and all the attorneys were basically looking over it and trying to figure out exactly what it means, because some of it's very ambiguous in terms of whether people are covered and different exceptions that, that may or may not exist. So we're still, you know, this is very new. We're all still kind of waiting for some kind of proper guidance on this. But yeah, it's pretty huge from that perspective. Is this something that is effective immediately? Yeah, it was actually effective midnight on the 24th. So there was a bit of time, but really barely anything, especially given the current travel restrictions. But yeah, it's supposed to apply to anyone who is basically outside of the US as of the effective date, does not have a non-immigrant visa that's valid on the effective date, or those that do not have an official travel document, which would be like an advanced parole document, travel document, something along those lines. So this is really uh, kind of hard to really completely understand. The first one, if you're outside the US, then it applies to you. That one's pretty straightforward. You know, you're either here or you're not, and that's that side of things. But the second prong of this, that do you have a valid non-immigrant visa that's effective as of that date, this is kind of an interesting one because some people have a valid visa, have a different valid visa in their passport, maybe an old visitor visa. There's arguments as to whether that would mean they're exempt from this new rule. And, you know, we have a lot of people that went home in March to maybe renew their visa. The consulates were closed, so they haven't been able to get their new valid visa. So really, those people are kind of out of luck at this point. They, they can't get that visa. They can't come back in um, unless they meet certain exemptions. But yeah, it's, it's, it's pretty tough from that perspective. Thanks for that. That's a great response or a great kind of explanation. That is, it also brings up a great point as well. A lot of people in, obviously, it's the entertainment capital of the world. A lot of Brits are in entertainment out here. So they've gone home to renew their visa and they haven't been able to do that. So what does that mean for their jobs here? I, it's a really good question. I mean, we've seen a lot. Is there of, any way around it? So there's certain exemptions available. Um, Afshar, did you want to go into any of that side of things? Um, yeah, it's really great to hear Richard's perspective on this. So this is my perspective, having practiced a lot outside of the country as well in the UK is that because everything is closed down routine visa processing anyway for the entire pandemic, even if you were going to have a, a visa application, even a visa appointment, if you had a approval for your H1B, your J or your L, you weren't going to get it anyway, at least this year for, the, for pandemic reasons. So really, when I look at this proclamation, I just look at it as a way of politicizing what's already in place in terms of global travel restrictions. So it's heartbreaking, it's horrible, the assault on immigration is just bad, but let's face it, no one was going to be coming in anyway because embassies are essentially closed and now this proclamation just says it's closed until the end of December. You raise a great point, Afshar, sorry to jump in there. That is a really interesting point because I believe that you already mentioned to me the travel ban ends currently December 31st, but it could go longer. So, President, true, yeah. Right. So is it just really, um, should people just be taking a deep breath right now, just saying, okay, well, we already kind of knew this and it's probably going to change down the road. But for now, we just have to sit tight. I mean, is that, is that a fair analogy? 
Well, to be honest with you, we don't really know, do we? So we've got right now with this new proclamation that it's December 31st, 2020, and that it may change, it might go into spring of 2021. So in terms of like the people affected, the US is a high risk country now anyway. So as I was speaking with Rich earlier that the EU is even thinking of banning people coming in from the United States because we are the highest risk country in the world right now, maybe apart from some Latin American countries. So yeah, everyone just has to hold on to their horses. Business is halted. What we can do is we can help the immigrants or the foreign nationals already in the United States by being creative with them, how to extend their visas, how to like maybe start their green card application finally, which you can only do if you're in the United States. If you're outside the United States, even if you do have that valid visa that we were saying is one of the exceptions, you can still come in if you've got the valid visa, but who's gonna be able to come in with a valid visa? The only people in the UK who can come in are green card holders, US citizens, and if you are in the national interest, so basically helping in terms of medical stuff for COVID-19, or you're essential to the US in some way. So all of this is just politicizing the pandemic. Got it, that's very interesting. We had a question that came in earlier, and it actually relates to what you were just talking about. Actually, you can't apply for a green card unless you're physically here, but the question I've got is, we're seeing reports that USCIS which I believe is the agency that governs immigration for the US is having huge staff reductions and furloughing people. So even if you're here, it sounds like it's going to be a slow process. But it doesn't matter if you're actually here and starting the process, does that mean you're technically safe? Or you could have some difficulties and challenges staying here at the moment? Is there anything that we can tell anyone who's listening on that part? Well, again, it's like a variety of factors, you know, it's the totality of circumstances. We would need to know what visa type that you're here in the United States. But I'm guessing a lot of um, the listeners would be, say, business people on an L1 visa. So I've got a lot of people who are currently on L1 visas, they're managers and executives. To be honest with you, I have no idea what President Trump was doing, cancelling the L1 visas, because if you're an L1 visa holder, you might be managing a million people, a thousand people. Why would you not let their executive into the country? It's... I don't know, it's asinine to me. But um, if you're an L1 visa holder and you've got your up to seven years over here, you can start doing your green card application, your EB1, for instance. So a few people have asked me, we're very scared about immigration. I said, well, you've got to be careful about your status. But while you're here, get started on that green card application. Beef up your um, qualifications, everything that makes you great as you are, and do that application while you're over here. So we're able to help people in the United States We are telling people that the wait times, because I think the plan is to reduce 70% of the USCIS staff right now. So we're expecting backlogs come towards the end of the year. So we're just telling people, if you're here, make the most of it and get started. But there are other visa types. Um, Rich, do you want to speak to that? Yeah, just to add to that as well. I mean, just a couple of things, you know, who's exempt from this travel ban? Obviously, lawful parent resident of US citizen or of the United States, sorry, a spouse or child of a US citizen is exempt, doesn't include parents. So if you have a US citizen kid, you're not exempt from the ban. But a couple of interesting parts are any individual seeking to enter the US to provide temporary labor or services essential to the US food supply chain. Mm. So got a couple of companies that are very much involved in food production or you know, I had someone was asking, you know, I think they were producing wine, you know, it's like, does this count as part of the food supply chain? So there might be arguments there to be able to still get people in. In addition, there's another part 
exemption for individuals whose entry would be in the national interest. And, you know, national interest is kind of defined in a, in a kind of a vague way, like kind of a, an overarching, because it includes those who are necessary to facilitate the immediate and continued economic recovery. So there could be an argument, particularly with some of these executives, that they're coming in to manage people, to oversee hiring, to do this kind of thing, um, which could kind of give like a huge exemption, a way to kind of bring everyone in despite this ban. But yeah, as, as after I was talking about in terms of other visas, this only applies to H, L, and J at this point. O-1 visas for those with extraordinary ability, those in the arts and motion picture TV arena, still fine. O visas haven't been affected. Um, similarly with TN, with NAFTA for Canadians, Mexicans, E-2 is one that's really good for the Brits who want to apply for an investment visa. The issue with that is you have to pretty much apply at the embassy and most of the embassies are still pretty much closed at this point. There are these other options that can give you the ability to come in. So actually, that's a great point, Richard. Yeah, we have our, some of our friends and our neighbours, Canada, Mexico. You kind of touched on it there. Anything else to elaborate on that point or, or do we cover everything? Yeah, I mean, right now, and, and this is something that I know Jonathan was working with people on. So in terms of the overall COVID-related travel ban that was basically saying if you had been you know, basically in any country in Europe, including the UK, within 14 days, you're not able to come into the US. So a lot of people were trying to figure out ways to transit through third countries, be it go stay in Mexico for a couple of weeks and then into the United States, or maybe travel to Jamaica and then come through. You know, it's a lot of these kind of options that have existed. Right now, those pretty much still work, but it's kind of very fluid because, you know, there's additional countries being added. Brazil just got added to the ban list fairly recently. And the issue right now is that the Mexico-Canada border, they pretty much have said that they're not allowing people in unless it's essential. And essential is very much dependent on the officer you're speaking to at a particular port, a particular entry point. But right now, those restrictions don't apply to people flying. So if you're flying from Canada to the US or from Mexico to the US, you're okay, but you just can't drive across, across the border. So it doesn't make a huge amount of sense, but there it is. That's, that's kind of what we're dealing with at this point. Okay. No, it doesn't, but you're just dealing with the information that you've got and you're doing a grand, and you're doing a grand job at it kind of telling the people who are listening. Same with you as well, Afsha. So anonymous person's just asked this question. We don't have the information right now, but how can we expect further lockdown? Are we going to see more travel bans? Is everyone going to be told they can't travel? Europe right now is considering banning people from the Americas entering into those zones because I don't want to say it's out of control here, but it's increasing rapidly. Any insight on that? And I'll go to you, Afsha, first of all. Gosh, so we're knowing that like, the, the bans are in place until December 31st, 2020. We are hoping and optimistic that travel will open soon thereafter. And I suppose that the solutions that everyone is discussing is that in order to travel, you'll have that trace tracking or you'll take temperatures because let's face it, it's, diff it's dangerous to travel right now. So that's what I've been told about how we expect opening up will occur. And I would like to say the end of December um, of this year, but it could just very well go into the early part of next year. And then also, as we know, it all depends on who's elected in November. 
So it's really unfortunate because immigration is so political that it's really not fair to everyone because this country is based on innovation and growth. Like you were saying when we started the call, LA is a dreamland, all of California. If you're in NorCal, you're tech. If you're in LA, you're, you're entertainment industry. So it's needlessly suffering because we are at the mercy of an administration that politicizes this. But in terms of travel, I hope that um, we'll have the, uh, the trace tracking, the temperatures, maybe take a bit more example of what Southeast Asia is doing. Interesting. Richard, what's your take on it? All I've really heard from I think Fauci a couple of weeks ago basically said he, he thinks the ban is going to be months, not weeks. So mm. it doesn't seem like it's going to be anywhere near kind of being lifted anytime soon. And I think it's kind of anyone's guess, but it does seem like it's, it's going to be here for at least the longer term at this point. Well, we obviously work with all different departments of trade from different countries around the world. The one we're all probably most familiar with is the Department of International Trade for Great Britain. Do you guys work with them on specific cases from time to time? I'm guessing you probably do. What's the word from those guys? How are they navigating through it? How are they working with you to get their super important people over and so on and so forth? What, what's the latest? What I've seen is, is, you know, similar to what I was mentioning in terms of transiting people through somewhere else, you know, get someone to a different country for 14 days, you know, vacation in Cabo or something, and then fly on in from there. Otherwise, really, as I was saying, case by case, you want to see, you know, does this company, does the position fit within one of the exceptions? Is there, you know, a way to get it through that way? I know even on the old one with people who need to come in for production purposes, it's there are exemptions there. I mean, if you can figure out a way to get a, a nice letter that really explains why you're needed in the U.S. as soon as possible and, you know, how it's going to affect other jobs if you're unable to travel, you know, it's definitely something that's worth trying because a, a lot of discretion on the, the consular officer, you know, if and when the embassy is open, which, you know, there's good news actually on that front. The consulates around the place are starting to open. It's very much a case by case you know depending on the country but i've definitely had particularly in australia seen some people getting in for interviews getting visas approved in the last couple of weeks so that side of things at least amongst all of this other bad news that's the the good news at this point is places are opening people can apply for visas again we're also seeing from a naturalization standpoint they've started doing oath ceremonies so people are being, being able to be finally sworn in as, as U.S. citizens and interviews are starting up again with some of the naturalization and green card interviews. That's great. So there's so much going on at the moment. I've got a lot of different questions here. I'm trying to find one to ask you right now. The question I've got is tell everyone who is listening in a little bit more about Richard. This is for you, DACA, D-A-C-A. There's been a recent Supreme Court decision. How does that affect us? What, what do we need to know about that? Yeah, so basically Supreme Court decision concluded that the DACA rescission that was kind of going, was, was underway from the Trump administration was unconstitutional. It's kind of good news because it, you know, a lot of the people that applied for DACA, now DACA is this ability where, you know, if someone's been here for basically a, a long time, they were under a certain age, you know, kind of this is typically the, the kids who were brought here when they were under 16, this side of things they're eligible to get this DACA, which is really just deferred action, which really just means they won't be placed immediately into removal proceedings. They can stay here. They can get an employment card or this kind of stuff. And those people have been super obviously worried that if DACA goes, suddenly immigration is going to come after them and try and push them out of the country. But the good news is that at least right now, 
it isn't being rescinded, it's gonna continue. I mean, it's, I say right now, it's a very temporary thing just because when you read the Supreme Court decision, it was very much like the Trump administration didn't really give them enough good reasons for rescinding it. So it's very much kind of the ball's kind of back in the administration's court to actually go ahead and, and maybe come up with better reasons to potentially get that rescinded. But we'll see. I mean, at least for now, it does mean that people who have expired can continue to renew those, those applications. There is hope that people that haven't applied before should now be able to apply or kind of go through that process. So that side of things is good, at least for now. We don't know if they'll be able to put enough together to challenge that again within the next few months. So the future of it could be very based on the election coming up. Thanks, Richard. Uh, good morning, everybody. You are listening in if you've just arrived to another BABC Los Angeles live webinar event, live cast. I don't even know what to call it, but I'm so glad that you could make it here today. We've got two wonderful guests on Richard Yem from Walsh Rosenthal and Afshar Randera from Michael Sullivan and Associates, both experts in their own fields of immigration. So much to talk about today. We often focus heavily on business. It is the British American Business Council, but Focusing on personal situations, Afsha, I know that you mentioned before, the biggest question you're being asked, most commonly asked, I should say right now, is people who have family abroad in the UK and they can't go there. They cannot get there. What? It's a tough one. Is there anything you can say or do or do you just have to say, I'm sorry, you just got to deal with it? You, you have to be honest with them. You have to say, because they're in LA and they say, um, well, my daughter is over here, my 14-year-old daughter. So they have young children, but the mother's in the UK. Unless you're a citizen or a green card holder or you meet the exceptions as well outlined by Rich, you just can't travel and you're just telling people, hold on and we just hope the situation gets better. I'm sorry, I don't have a better answer than that. Like, nope, you can't travel. No, I, I get it. Do, do you think though, I mean, is this, are they going to be able to travel this year? I mean, at this point, with the resurgence that's going on, is there any light at the end of the tunnel for these people? So being the lawyer, you have to be the most uh, sort of risk averse and most cautious. So you tell them, be prepared, not for this year. And I think everyone can understand that because of the pandemic. But it's, it's really hard to communicate that to a family member. It just, it is. It's heartbreaking. Everyone has to be separated right now. You can't hug your grandmother. It's just another thing on the already horrible list of things that you can't do right now. So I wish I had a better answer for you, James. Sorry. No, I get it. I mean, I, I absolutely do. Um, it's, it's just a, a very tough time. Um, how do you see that this evolving, though? Because this is not, this is obviously, this is new information. There's a lot of change going on at the moment. There's stuff being updated. There's sometimes things being relaxed, not in immigration. What can we see? So we know what's going on in the immediate short term. Longer term, are we going to be seeing further changes? Is there anything on the horizon that we should be preparing ourselves for? Richard, any insight on that? Well, as part of the proclamation, there was some additional information in there that, you know, again, they're kind of asking for Department of Labor, Department of State, Department of Homeland Security to figure out other, if other restrictions are required on H-1B and, and this side of things. Now, that would really typically have to come through regulations. Just a heads up, in terms of the visa that this most recent proclamation, the president has pretty uh, wide discretion and power, and I think it's 221F, which will allow him to monitor or 
um, restrict travel into the US. And that's what he's tried to do here is kind of very much restrict people who are outside the US coming in on visas. And the visa is the, basically the valid travel document that you have to get in order to travel internationally. Now, he hasn't extended this. I don't think he necessarily has the power to extend this to people who are already here on in a certain kind of status. And, you know, I think we have a question here that if someone was in H-1B status and they wanted to extend their their stay, file an extension of status, would they be okay? And yes, you know, that would technically be fine. You know, right now, extensions of stay, totally fine. There, there haven't been additional restrictions placed on that process just yet. There is talk that down the line, there may be maybe kind of an additional test of the labor market to show that there's no qualified US workers to do that position that the employer is filing for. But right now, those people are typically fine in terms of extending or changing their status while they're here. It's just the issue of being abroad. And one thing to add to that, which is potentially kind of, it really worried me when I saw this because it doesn't really gel with what the proclamation actually says. So the Department of State in a kind of a Q&A that they posted through Twitter and a bunch of other areas, they basically, the question they were asked was, if you have a valid H-1B or one of these visas, are you able to enter the US? And of course, you're not, you know, if you have a valid visa as of June 24th, you're good. But then Department of State added that if your visas expire and you apply for renewal, you're subject to the proclamation. Now, what that means is you could be here right now and you have a valid H-1B and you're good. But if your visa is expiring soon, yes, we can file an extension and keep you here. But the next time you travel abroad, you don't have a valid visa, you're going to have to apply for that visa abroad and you're not going to be able to kind of get back in because you're going to be covered by that proclamation. And that's scary because the proclamation doesn't really say that. It actually says if you don't have a non-immigrant visa valid on the effective date, which would suggest that if you, know, if you have a valid visa right now, you're covered for it. You know, there's no issue down the line because you met that standard on the 24th, you're good to go. But this Department of State kind of Q&A is suggesting, and again, we don't know if this is what's actually going to end up happening. This could be just someone kind of didn't phrase it completely right. But that would suggest that really, if you're on one of, in one of these statuses, you may not be able to, and your visa is expiring in the next couple of months, you may not be able to travel to get the new visa. That is a very good point. Well, and as we all know, attorneys love to to write things and, and make it really super easy to understand, right? I'm just saying that to two attorneys on this call. Yes. No offense. <laughs> um, but um, it's a very good point that you bring up again. So you can't give this advice, but are you suggesting that if someone is now out of status or about to become out of status, don't leave? I mean, without a status, we would always recommend you file an extension. You know, make sure you file an extension before you fall out of status. Well, let's pretend that they didn't. Let's go on the absolute. They say they went out of status. They didn't file it in time. They had some family stuff. I've just given examples sure. here. But that's probably the kind of people's minds are not focused on straightforward stuff right now. So if, that, if it's all fallen apart, what can they do? They come to you and say, look, this is what's happened. How do we fix this? Good question. And it really is case by case, but typically we would never recommend someone overstay. You know, once they're out of status, really you should be leaving the country because if you overstay by more than six months, you trigger a bar to being able to come back into the country. There are certain situations, something called nunk-pro-tunk, where, you know, you fell out of status because maybe you didn't realize that your status expired or something like that. You can sometimes 
file to immigration and ask them to just kind of backdate the approval so it's as though you filed it on time. But that's very case by case. But generally, it's not a good idea to, to be overstaying at all. I understand. Afsha. What a question, James. Of course, we're not going to say, hey, overstay. That's a very lovely diplomatic answer, Rich. I have to ask these questions. I have, this is, I have to ask these questions. I'm just the, I'm no. just the messenger. No, it's true. There are waivers that you can do down the line if you've overstayed, but of course, you, you don't have that in mind. You have to keep your status, and if you're in risk of overstaying, you have to leave. But I wanted to go back to the question you asked, Rich, like what's its effect on the UK? So if you look at the visas that are affected, I actually printed out the statistics, um, the H-1B, the H-2B, the L-1, the J-1. So, so it's really like, perhaps it's country specific. So the UK, I don't think is in danger because we've got treaties with the United States. We have the E-1, the E-2. That's a diplomatic thing. Trade will still continue. It's not going to affect us. But the H-1B, it's really important to note. It's 70% of H-1B holders are of Indian nationality and 15% of them are from China. So H-1B restricted in that respect. The H-2B, another one that's restricted or on the ban, 74% from Mexico, 10% from Jamaica. And, um, and the L-1 visa, which I think we all are very unhappy about that is part of the ban, that is 24% India and the rest of Asia, 21%. The J-1s, 26% Asia, 24% South America. So if you, can, if you can see it, like it really shouldn't affect Brits. Once the madness of this pandemic is over, I actually see it stepping up again, flourishing with the UK. But there's a reason these particular visa types were picked and that's the reason really. Thank you for that. Um, we have a follow-on question uh, to one that was ans answered earlier about the H-1B visa. And is there a restriction on renewing existing visas? Well, we just kind of covered this, haven't we? Is there a restriction on renewing existing visas as you need to leave the USA to do so. So it sounds like if you leave to renew it, you can't come back until it's renewed. And that could take months and months. Potentially, yeah. I mean, again, a strict reading of the proclamation would suggest that you're safe because you had a valid visa as of the 24th. You're in the US, you're good. You can go out, apply for a new visa, come back. But what we're hearing from Department of State, which is the, the organization that actually issues the visas is that you're subject. So if you leave and you've expired, then your new visa application comes under the proclamation and you're out of, out of luck. So what I'm hearing there is you need to have a very good immigration attorney. And if you two know any, please let us know. We'll let the viewers know as well. Of course, I'm only joking. We have two wonderful attorneys here this morning. Anyone joining us now, good morning. My name is James Langridge, president of the British American Business Council here in Los Angeles. You're listening live to a BABC event. We have Afshar Randera, Michael Sullivan, Associates on, and Richard Yem, Warsaw Frozenthal. Wonderful to have you both here today. The information you're discussing is way above my pay grade. I'm just hanging in there, but I kind of understand. I've got a question that I had that's a little bit off topic, but it does relate, is we have been in some form of lockdown now for coming on for almost four months, three and a half, four months. How have you used technology to still remain in touch with your clients? What technology have you been using? And what would you change if you could? Do you want to go first, Afsha? I, I can. I, I'm pretty sure I'm just doing what everybody else is doing, which is a lot of Zoom calls. And it's nice that the security settings of Zoom have gone up because I think that was a concern right at the beginning. So Zoom has thankfully stepped up and provided greater security. I'm still doing mailings, actually. I'm still doing FedEx because 
Although the wonderful thing that the government has started doing much more, many more online filings, I really like the new processes and places that we can do a lot of applications, the I-130 now, so many other things we can do online now that we weren't able to do previously. So utilizing that, but still very much using hard copy, but just the usual, doing home office, printer at home, all the work at home, and sending out hard copy mailings. And in, in fact, what's hard is that clients now want to do more Zoom calls and videos. And before in the past, it was just phone calls. So try to manage that expectation that we can get things done on a regular phone call, not just via Zoom. I guess my life hasn't changed too much because we're still having to do paper filings. Um, Rich, go ahead. Yeah, pretty much the same. I mean, we in our field, we have clients across the world. So it's always been kind of a case where you do these kind of Zoom calls anyway. And you know, just less in-person type stuff right now. Otherwise, it's been, it's been pretty good on that front. And one of the good things with our firm is we actually last year created this new portal system, immigration case management system. So we found that's been really useful for us and for our HR because they're now they're easily able to just log on to our portal and see exactly, you know, where their case is in the overall process, which just makes it easier for them when they're dealing with employees that are stressed out and worried and wondering where the case is what's going on it makes it a lot easier for them to manage everything because it's all in the cloud so that's pretty much been our situation here thanks for that so again it brings up more great points when we're dealing with paper uh, we're dealing with usually an antiquated system do you foresee some changes coming in how people are going to be able to file these applications if we're going to be on an extended form of a lockdown or restriction do you think we're going to see because it would vastly improve the process. <laughs> if they're, they're furloughing people, they're reducing work people, if we could automate it a little bit further, what's the chances of that? What, what's the likelihood? Uh, Rich, Rich has a little face, so you go ahead first and I'll give I would a... just say maybe not so great. I mean, hope, you know, like they finally allowed us to file cases with, with scanned versions of signatures, which is something that they haven't done for ages they keep talking about electronic filings and maybe there are some that are pretty decent you know the i-90 if you want to renew your green card you can just do that online but just the government and computer systems don't tend to mix particularly well if you see the healthcare.com and this kind of situation so particularly if they're underfunded and they're not the current administration doesn't really want to help them out on that side of things it's probably just business as usual until until something else like that so I agree, like it's completely underfunded. So therefore they have to make greater efforts with their AI, right? So um, we now have USCIS's Emma bot. So if anyone has got questions, I'm sure so many of the people on the call, if they're trying to contact USCIS, they're using the Emma bot, which it takes a bit of practice. So if there's a staff reduction, we're going to be communicating more with bots. And we hope that the more that a bot is utilized, the smarter it gets and the easier it is for communication. So we, we hope that's the case. That's just how AI works. And then um, when you always call the contact center, I actually do think their system of like directing calls has gotten better. So these small wins that you see, but if they're going to be underfunded and there's going to be staff reductions, it's like they were making so many good strides and now it's going to be pushed back a little due to funding. So that's my issue here. Uh, you've got to celebrate your successes, especially so important to do that right now, more than ever. So let's talk a little bit more, Afsha, about um, not all visas are closed. We're in a land of opportunity. Innovation is, is in our hearts here and in England and, and around the world. 
investment visas are still available. Tell us a little bit more about that. If you want to invest, I mean, do you invest in yourself? Are you investing in the local economy? That's what we need right now. What can you tell people about that? So I actually think that E1, E2 visas are doing quite well right now in renewal. So if you're outside of the country and you have the view to start your business or continue your business, no, you're outside the country. You'll have to just wait until a visa appointment is um, given to you. But I've noticed that there's a pretty good success rate with the, uh, so the E1 visa for anyone listening, it's when your company is engaged in international trade, but at least 50% or more is with the United States. So a UK businessman or a UK company and you're doing at least 50% of all your international business with the United States, then you can apply for an E1 visa. The E2 visa, as I'm sure many of our listeners know, is an investment visa. So that can be my personal experiences between anywhere, an investment of between say 60 grand to 150 grand or even more. You're investing in a business in the United States, you're employing people, you're increasing trade. Now that's pure free market capitalism. That's going to succeed here. This is the land of that. So your E1, your E2s, your renewals on that, they're going to be viewed favorably. And if this administration took away E1 and E2 visas, they would be held to pay because there are treaties between countries you cannot cancel treaties. So in that respect, investment visas, if you have the means and if you have an idea and innovation, do that route. And even then, like if you have an E2 and you're quite high up in your organization, you could then do a self-petition for a green card. So there are ways to be creative in the, in the means that we have as long as someone meets the qualifications or meets the requirements and maybe can put more efforts in themselves to meet those requirements. So I'm a big fan of the investment visa because I really don't see that going away. No, that's great. That's fantastic for everyone listening. That's a little bit of encouragement there. Richard, you share the same sentiment? Yeah, love the E1, love the E2. Very good visas. Obviously, the issue is right now, if you're abroad, applying to the embassy. I've heard talk that the embassy, you know, you can submit the docs to them and they will review. And then once they open, they will schedule your interview. And they were always taking probably four or five weeks from document submission to scheduling interview anyway. So that side of things won't have as big an impact. The other visa I, I love is the L1. The L1 visa, it's a great catch-all category, particularly for those in the arts and the motion picture TV arena, just because it is a lower standard for those individuals. But honestly, for anyone, I mean, the O1A, which is a slightly higher standard, but it, it basically can apply to anyone. So what we're seeing is a lot of the people, you know, if people are restricted on L1As, so their executives, their managers, oftentimes there's a decent O1A case there. With an O1A, for those people that don't know, you've got to show extraordinary ability. There's about seven or eight criteria. You have to qualify under at least three of them. And if you're a top executive, you probably have a high salary, which is one criteria. You may well be a lead or critical role for a distinguished organization, which is a number two. And then the third one could be maybe you've got some press about you when you join the company, or maybe you've got you've won awards or you've made contributions or there's, there's other things that you can kind of get under. And it's, it's on us as immigration attorneys as well to help people get creative on this and try and figure out creative ways that are a little bit outside the box to try and figure out if there's, if there's a visa option that people can come in under. And we've had a lot of success with that with the L1 for particularly for those in, in the business arena and that side of things. Thanks, Richard. We're getting close to the end of this discussion. It's been wonderful so far. I have a couple of last minute questions as well. But before we get there, is there anything top of mind from this discussion that either of you want to share to our listeners that's as a result of the discussion? Anything that you want to cover? 
I would also just like to add that dependents are also affected by this. So just because if you're on H1B, and, and there's an argument on this, whether this applies or not, and you know, we'll see what happens in the upcoming couple of weeks, you know, there could well be likely to be lawsuits against the administration for this. There could be injunctions against these travel bans and against these bans on visas. But as of right now, it appears that even a dependent, so if you're on an H-1B, your spouse is here on an H-3, basically if they go abroad, H-4, they, can, they might have issues coming back into the country because they don't have that valid visa. So just keep that in mind. Dependents can be affected just as much. Um, no, so just don't leave. Travel plans. Yes. Don't leave. Stay here I as mean, long as you can. The weather's beautiful. <laughs> don't leave. It okay. Is, right? Live your, live your life, but if there's a possibility of not leaving, please don't leave. But so, so basically, don't go to a restaurant, don't go anywhere, and don't leave. Stay and you're fine. In this Zoom box, it's, it's nice here. Safe. <laughs> <laughs> and my one piece of advice, I suppose, is this too shall pass. Remember that. So. It really will. Well, you stole my question because that is the next question I have for you in closing is there's so much information out there that you can bury yourself in and honestly can frighten yourself at certain times. You guys deal with immigration. I mean, that's what you do as a job. But when it's, when it's not your daily thing and it now comes into your life and it's, you know, it affects you, can you stay here? Can you go somewhere? It's frightening. But it's not always like that. Immigration is exciting. Moving to a new country is people love to travel. Moving to a new country is one of the hardest things you're ever going to do. And then bring your family as well. Mm -hmm. Add that and make a living. It's tough. What can you tell people? What's the silver lining here? What can we look forward to down the road when this settles down? And there is going to be a moment where it settles down. And maybe it will be a little bit better. But you kind of in summary, give us something good. What can you tell us, Richard? Um, well, I mean, right now, a lot of these travel bans and restrictions seem to be very, whether it's an excuse or whether it really is the reason behind them, it's due to COVID. So the suggestion would be once that the curse of COVID kind of is lifted from us, then really these, these travel bans and these, these other bans should also change. In addition, right now, we only have four or five months till the end of the year. And the election, you know, there is a possibility of an administration change, which might be beneficial for a lot of immigrants down the line. So we'll see if that's something that, that does end up happening. But, you know, a lot of these bans, you see them, they're good until the end of the year. At that point, no one really knows. And the good thing is, right now, filing these cases in the U.S., filing change of status, extension, even green card applications here in the U.S. is still okay. And those cases can still get pushed through so I guess if there is a, a silver lining, it's, it's that side of things for now. Thank you, Afsha. How about you? Anything to add? I pretty much echo what Rich says. It's um, pandemic. It's halted everything. Um, there may be an administration change. And if there is an administration change, we can see a ban probably being lifted sooner. It really depends on what's going to be happening in November, I feel. In terms of viruses and pandemics, uh, as we know, um, that CDC is maybe not being as funded as much as it should. So hopefully we get a vaccine for this. But if not, we have to be in the best shape of our lives should more viruses come. So I suppose that's it. This too shall pass and stay healthy, which we're in California. We got all the vitamin D here, so we will. But um, yeah. stay healthy. We have great avocados, guacamole, eat your heart out. 
Thank you so much, both of you. What a great discussion. Great, great discussion. We've had a number of listeners with questions today. We've asked a lot of questions. You've given such wonderful information to those listening now and who will listen after on the recorded podcast, which, by the way, if you're listening, thank you. The podcast will go to the BABC, which is www.babcla.org. My name is James Langridge, President of the British American Business Council. I've absolutely been delighted to have you here today, Richard and Afsha, thank you so much for joining us. Just want to say thank you. And it sounds like we'll be back soon for an update. Thanks, James. Great. Thanks, James. Thanks, everybody. Thank you for listening. Please like and subscribe to our podcast on iTunes or your favorite platform. Your likes and reviews really do help us reach new listeners.